0: It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based, family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners. CFPs who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now.
2: On News Radio six eighty WPTF,
1: and I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner,
2: and I'm Deborah Lewis,
3: certified financial planner, and we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of cash flow planning? Well, there was an interesting article in the News and Observer: uh, six tips from someone who saved a million by age thirty. So you know that caught our eye. The uh, author, uh, Janelle Mart. Had said that she had interviewed a man named Grant Sabatier. And a few years ago, after graduating from college, Grant was unemployed, broke, and living with his parents. So one day when he was hungry for a burrito after on an afternoon, he checked the balance and saw he only had like two and a half dollars in the bank. And at that point, that was the low point in his life. He made a goal of saving as much money as possible so that he could retire early if he wanted to.
1: Yeah, Saboteer found a way at a marketing company to get a job and took on side jobs to make extra cash and managed to stash away as much as half of his paycheck. He reached his goal, believe it or not, of saving a million dollars by the time he was only 30 years old. And, of course, the article was really interesting. He, he gave some tips for boosting people's savings accounts based on what worked for him and the mistakes also that he's made along the way.
2: It was very interesting. Sabatier quickly realized that the 50000 that he was earning at the marketing agency wasn't going to be enough for him to meet his savings goal. So he started multiple side jobs to bring in extra money. One of the most important habits Sabatier
3: developed was to make his goal feel attainable. When he first decided to save more than a million for retirement, the number was so large it felt beyond reach. So he focused on the near term and calculated that he could meet that goal in about 30 years if he saved at least $50 a day and earned roughly 5% a year. And I really like that.
1: What he did is he quantified and made an (laughs) attainable goal. Not just pie in the sky. I'm going to win the lottery or something like that. He gave himself measurable results. Measurable results.
3: So he started off investing just $150 a month. And that increased. And he increased his savings and investing over time. But because he wanted to reach his savings goal as soon as possible, he didn't just stop at that $150 a month. When he was able to, it went uh, as, as high as all of his extra, or what we call at Lewis Financial Management, surplus cash.
2: So he stashed away any extra money that he could if he had a bonus or he had extra income from his his side jobs, he just kept saving and saving. Really smart.
3: Now, he says that he was only able to meet his goal because he invested the majority of his long-term savings in stock mutual funds, giving him a much higher return than he would have earned through a savings account.
1: Yeah, you know, Saboteer's story is a reminder of how much money can be left on the table when people are too afraid to invest. So I think that was one of the important tips.
2: So it's important to make it a habit of saving daily. And it's also important to invest the extra cash that you have, right? That's right. Right. And as he earned more money and he reduced his living expenses, Saboteer moved from saving 15% of his pay to stashing away 25%, and eventually he was saving even more than 40% of his paycheck.
1: Beautiful, beautiful.
3: The idea of saving so aggressively may feel intimidating to some people, but even boosting your savings rate by a small amount can make a big difference over time. Save $20 more a week than you did last week, or save 1% more in your 401k every six
1: months. Right. It's the whole story of attainable goals again.
3: If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000, and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind.
1: And as he became more serious about meeting his goals, Saboteer, did something else. He scaled back his monthly housing costs so that he could save even more. He moved from a really swanky apartment in Chicago that cost about 1500 a month to an apartment half the size that cost 800 a month. That's $700 more that went straight into his investment account. People should target the bills taking up the biggest share of their paychecks is his advice.
3: Absolutely. And then he reflected that years of living frugally and finding ways to make extra cash had helped him meet his savings goal. But then last year, he made a costly mistake. He got comfortable. He took a look at his transactions and calculated that he had spent $200,000 last year, more than twice as much as he had spent the year before. And it became easy to spot all the culprits of where he had spent that extra money.
1: Yes, Sabatier knew that he could technically afford these things, but the lifestyle inflation that he was experiencing could threaten the financial independence that he'd been working so hard for. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do it. So when we look at his whole story, we come to the question of what's the lesson to be learned?
3: It really is to know you're, if, you're, if you want to accumulate enough to be financially independent, call Lewis Financial Management. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. My number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Yeah, because comprehensive financial planning from a financial planner like Deborah or myself requires an interactive relationship with the client and the planner. First of all, we've got to understand what are the goals you're trying to achieve. And then our job is to keep you on track, to keep monitoring you to see, are you on track to achieve those goals? And that is what we do at Lewis Financial Management. This is called Comprehensive Financial Planning. Call us at the office at 919-872-7000. That's
2: 919-USA-7000. You know, Doug, Deborah, that that definitely was a feel-good story, wasn't it? It really is. To hear someone succeed. Yes, because if you're young and, you know, you've got a lot of time on your side, and it just takes discipline, it takes um, good habits— And practicing good habits.
3: And you know, when you want measurable results, you need to meet with someone. You need to go through everything that is required so that you can know what your monthly recurring expenses are what your monthly recurring income is. And that delta, that difference between those two will give you the real amount that's going to be available on a monthly basis to month after month be able to invest and to just commit that that is going to be the amount that I want to set aside for my future.
1: Yeah. You know, what I like about his story is he's not afraid to To put his story in the press, we have many (laughs) clients that we could tell the same story, but for confidentiality, we can't. They might tell it personally, but we can't mention it on the air. But we have many clients (laughs) in the last 30 years that did the same thing with our help, and we watch them accumulate their first million, their second million, just by having attainable goals and achievable results and monitoring the progress along the way with the monthly reports that we send to clients from Lewis Financial Management.
2: Thank you for joining us on Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio six eighty WPTF.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000.
1: Quint, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you this evening?
4: Oh uh, yeah, uh, thank you. <clears throat> I, uh, a friend of mine, a widow in her seventies, is selling a few acres of land or only estate that she has, except for her house, uh, for about one hundred and fifty thousand. I'm just wondering, is there a way for her to avoid or defer the huge tax bite that receiving uh, large payments or full payment would create? Is, uh, For example, a, is there a trust of some sort that could be established?
1: Yes, there is. Tell me a little bit more, Quint, about the specifics, and I'll tell you how to do it. Uh, you can avoid all taxes on sale of real estate if you play the game right. Mm-hmm. How old is she? Uh, she's just past 70. She's 70 years old. Is she married? or You say she, she's a widow, widow? Widow, yeah. She's a widow. Does she have children?
4: Uh, grown sons and uh, uh, 40, 35, 40 years old.
1: All right. What's the size of her estate?
4: Uh, in, that, uh, in addition to this... Uh, yes,
1: her total estate.
4: Oh, probably two twenty-five, something like that, two fifty.
1: About two hundred and fifty thousand dollars total estate,
4: include yes, including the land that's about to be sold.
1: Right now, this land—you say the land is worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not her residence. That's correct. All right, and how much is the basis, the tax basis in the property? In other words, what she pay for it originally?
4: goodness. She and her husband bought it back in the late 40s and uh, probably didn't pay more than five or 6000
1: for it. All right. So we'll assume almost the entire $150,000 is going to be capital gains. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a look at this and see what we can do. Right. She can establish what's called a charitable trust. It's a double trust strategy that Linda and I have done for a number of clients in the last couple of years. Uh, and it works like this, Quint. She established, first of all, how's her health? Uh, very good. Well, that's another plus. Mm-hmm. Last question before I give you the answer is, what does she want ultimately after her death to happen to her estate? Uh,
4: probably to uh, leave it for the use of her two sons. All right. Uh, just to leave a, an estate for them.
1: Okay. Their care. Uh, both of them, uh, neither of them are wealthy. Oh, that's correct. They're not. Okay. All right. And her income, by the way, does she, do, Can she, does she, what is her income level right now?
4: Uh it's not very high. She, uh, she works part-time as a licensed practical nurse, uh, two or three nights a week, and then uh, she has Social Security and uh, a little uh, income from...
1: Uh, so really the reason that she's selling this property is to get some income for herself?
4: No, it's really to, uh, to convert it to, uh, uh, to uh, cash for investment or, or for, uh, to build an estate.
1: Well, what I'm saying is if she – I think we're saying the same thing. If she sells it, she wants to get it converted so it's producing income.
4: Well, yes.
1: Uh-huh. Moving it from an illiquid non-income producing right. asset to an income producing yeah, asset. I, I guess that's that's true, yes. All right. If she sets up a charitable trust and transfers the ownership of this property into the charitable trust and still retains herself as the trustee of this trust, then she as trustee – Sells the property mm-hmm. for the hundred and fifty thousand dollars. She has she pays no capital gains tax whatsoever. The entire hundred and fifty thousand is available to her for her to invest.
3: So take out a pen and paper.
1: Write down our number. It's
3: 919-872-7000. Hold on to that pen and paper, and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you should talk about.
1: Mm-hmm. Now the key to this thing is well, there are three keys. Mm-hmm. First of all. If she wants to make sure that the asset or the value of that asset, that 150000 is going to go to her children after she dies, mm-hmm. then she has to set up a second trust or some sort of replacement strategy. Mm-hmm. Because in doing a charitable trust, she is agreeing after her death to give what's left of the asset to a charity, oh, uh-huh. but to keep the income portion herself during her lifetime. So, uh, you know, if she goes in and actually lives uh, for 20 years, for example, then she would actually have, uh, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars of income coming out of this trust. But on the other hand, the principal, what's in the trust, will go to a charity after her death. Yeah, right. That's why Uncle Sam will let her go ahead and sell it and not pay taxes, mm-hmm. even though the gift is going to be a deferred gift at some point in the future. The way we solve that problem, and I have some clients who don't care about that. They're really looking just to increase their own income for their lifetime. They may not care. They may not have children and so on. Mm -hmm. They just want to increase their income, and they also want to go ahead and avoid capital gains taxes. The second trust, however, is to put up an insurance trust, which we call a wealth replacement trust. Let's say $150,000 wealth replacement we buy a we, we, we $150,000 life insurance policy, we get the cheapest one we can, and that pays at her death to her children. Mm-hmm. So now during her lifetime, she's avoided all of the $53,000 of taxes on sale of the property, she gets 50% more income, and at her death, what's left in the charitable trust goes to the university or the Salvation Army or even a charitable foundation in her name, And then what's left over there in the insurance trust, that goes to her children. Uh And, of course, where does the premium come from to pay for the insurance? From part of the cash flow from the first trust. Uh Uh And the whole key is when you do one of these double trusts, she should always be the trustee. Never give up control. If you would like to go ahead and have her call my office, I will go ahead and schedule an appointment. Linda can schedule an appointment to get together with her and explore the, uh, um, what she can do because we have done a number of these.
5: Uh, yeah. That, and that's the joy of, of, of using the strategy right. is that because you've got this piece of property that's appreciated in value since she first, you know, bought it, uh-huh. that, uh, you can have a tax problem down the road uh-huh. when, when things are final. And yeah. it passes to the other party. Right. And Uncle Sam will be right there with his hand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you'll call the office, um, our number here in Raleigh is 8727000. 8727000. Okay. And, uh, we'll be happy to do what we can to, uh, help her and you if we can.
4: Okay. Well, look, uh, you've, you've, uh, devoted, a... Uh, Quite a response here, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, and
5: thanks for calling. Thank you,
4: Clint.
1: You bet. Bye. That's a very good point, Deborah. I was recently at a national conference in California where there were uh, a lot of uh, financial advisors. There were even a number of people that did radio shows. And one evening, (coughs) uh, Linda and I were sitting around talking with a couple of radio uh, planners that – told me how they do their radio show and also how they do their planning in the office. And when I mentioned the fact that I do a lot of tax planning and I promote it quite strongly on our radio show, they were quite shocked. But they, that's because they're not really interested in... In doing this kind of planning, but it's on the minds of so many of our listeners, especially Absolutely. in North Carolina. We have folks that are what we call land rich, cash poor. Absolutely. We have ones that have, have uh, large tracts of land, either farmland or inherited land or recreational land, which they're no longer using.
3: And recently we've, we've been helping a couple of different families where they were once properties that were out in the middle of nowhere. Well, the middle of nowhere has grown up around them. So now these properties have become quite valuable and it might have been just farmland that um, was at one point, not even, nobody was interested in it. Well, this farmland might be now being in the eye of a commercial developer because the city or the county area has moved out to this family farm. So we're seeing this situation frequently enough to at least say this is the type of scenario you know, it might be 250,000. It might be 2 million. It might be 25 million.
1: Well, you know if it's a piece of property that has appreciated that much, let's say it's a million and a half, you might be facing by the time the accountant looks at it before you accept the offer mm-hmm. and realize, "Oh my gosh, that's $400,000 in taxes that I'm going to pay." And that's exactly right. So now you're caught in a bind. 40,000. No. No, because if you have uh almost 40 percent you're going to have maybe here i'll do it real quick let's say you got a you got a million and a half Oh no! It was just one hundred fifty thousand. No, I said, but if we have a piece of property oh, oh, oh. that's appreciated <laughs> like to a million and a half.
3: Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Like, like the one that we're dealing with really now in the office. Okay. That's exactly right. Yes. You yes. You could
1: be facing four hundred thousand dollars yes. in taxes because yes. you've got fifteen or twenty percent capital gains tax. Then you got a six percent tax on top of that for North Carolina, or five point eight percent, and so forth. But the bottom line is, it puts the person who receives this offer Mm -hmm. in an awkward situation. They'd like to sell it because they need it to produce income for them, Mm -hmm. but they're facing this huge tax bite, and lo and behold, here comes the tax strategy. You can indeed turn that. Into, into an
3: income stream.
1: Into an income stream and pay zero income tax. Instead save of foregoing,
3: yeah, instead of foregoing that 400000 that you receive the entire $1.5
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It is probably one of the least understood strategies that's out there, or least used strategies mm-hmm. that's out there. We like them a lot.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000. To set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation, call me
2: at 919-872-7000. Well, Doug, Deborah, a very interesting article as we've been talking about financial planning and comprehensive planning. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that discussed what is the best fee structure that a person should pay a financial advisor.
1: Yeah, I thought it was uh, interesting for a number of reasons. There were eight questions that were asked these three people. But, you know, deciding what kind of financial advice to pay for and what fee structure is right for you can indeed be daunting. Investors today have more choices than ever before from expensive, highly tailored advice to more impersonal services that cost next to nothing. So what the Wall Street Journal did, they invited three people to discuss the issue. There was a professor of finance from University of California Berkeley, there was a financial services counsel at the Consumer Federation of America, and there was a professor of entrepreneurial finance at MIT.
3: Really interesting that they didn't ask a financial planner there.
1: Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's like interviewing all of the people who support have been... a
3: doctor, but not asking the doctor yeah, what yeah, their opinion yeah, yeah. is.
1: <laughs> anyway, the eight questions were very good questions. <laughs> okay.
3: So the first question was How do investors pay for advice today?
1: Well, one of the people answered, traditionally, you paid a broker commissions for buying and selling stocks. Many people now use what they call fee-only advisors who as a percentage of assets under management, often with a scale. It could be 1.25% a year on a portfolio less than a million dollars. Many people charge about 1% on a million dollars. Now, I will tell you, that seems pretty steep, but I know there's a lot of people that do that. That is $10,000 a year on a million dollar portfolio. But another one of the uh, people that was questioned answered by saying, investors can also pay by the hour or by engagement, where the advisor provides a complete financial plan for a fixed fee, or people can pay a monthly retainer. Okay. Well, the second
2: question that was asked is, is it always clear at the outset which fee model you're getting. Many financial professionals
3: market themselves as advisors, using titles like financial advisor or financial consultant. If you don't know what you want, you might be directed toward their brokerage platform, in which case you'd be paying for the transaction and not the advice, or the managed assets under management platform, which we think is paying too much.
1: Yes, so I think I like that question because, no, it's not always clear at the outset what you're getting. It's up to you to know what you want and what you're getting. But either way, you could end up being directed by the brokerage firm to one of the two ways that could not be in your best interest.
3: All right. Linda, what was another question that they asked these three
2: experts in the field? Well, the third question is, um, is any one fee structure clearly in an investor's best interest?
1: Well, every model can have conflicts of interest. Transaction-based professionals like stockbrokers, their firms may set sales quotas for them or offer bonuses or other rewards for encouraging them to put their own interest ahead of the clients and recommend they go into things like uh, annuities or stocks and bonds paying more commissions, but something that is not in the best interest of the client. And that's because the firm is pushing them to meet those that's right. incentives. Many times
3: it's, this is what we're selling this month, regardless of who yeah. it might be best for. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website,
1: com. The commission structure creates the incentive where the brokers would like to see their clients trade more often because they get paid on every kind of a trade.
2: The fourth question that was asked is, what's the concern with paying a flat percentage of assets under management?
1: Yeah, this is really the second half of the same question, actually, because this is what they call the fee-only advisor with the assets under management percentage basis. Well, the problem here is the fee-only advisor has what's called an interest in capturing assets. It's actually the lazy way to get paid for doing nothing. You collect the assets Put them in a managed account, and you're paid every quarter your fee, and you don't have to do any work.
2: You know, it's interesting how many folks out there get their statements and really don't pay attention to what the fees are that are being charged to their portfolio.
1: That's right, Linda. Because
2: it's absorbed in
1: the whole report. Unfortunately, many of the statements don't show it. Just at the end of the year, you might see it. You're right.
2: So if you're out there listening, it's good to ask the question. All right. So the fifth question is, for those who can't afford premium advice, why not opt out for a one-time fixed fee for such, uh, for such things as a financial plan?
1: Well, the biggest potential worry is that the advisor doesn't have much at stake in the future. He just produces a financial plan for you, charges you a flat fee, and that's the end of it. He's not with you further on. So that's the, uh, the negative to the flat fee. The negative to the asset under management fee is it is a way just to capture assets and not have the advisor do anything. And the disadvantage of the commission is you're pushed to go ahead and make more money for the broker.
2: Question six. Hourly fees are very flexible. An investor gets the initial services
1: and the ongoing help as needed. Well... The hourly planners charge anywhere between $200 to $400 an hour. If an advisor puts in a lot of hours, your bill could grow considerably. It's important for investors to ask how much work is going to go into the process if they're going to go onto an hourly arrangement.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919 872 Now, what about Egodim? Well, that's interesting because that's that process of what happens during the relationship. So we have been mentioning that over the last few months as something that, um, if you're a regular listener, you've heard us mention before. So the beginning of the relationship, which is the establishing of the relationship, that's where the relationship should begin. What is the advisor going to provide for you? And what is uh, the client expecting to be performed for them? So now we have an... an, uh, uh, a, an establishing, uh, a clear def definition of what the relationship will entail.
1: And I think that's the most important thing to be taken away from this article in the Wall Street Journal is make sure that you have established the relationship with the person you're dealing with. You know what you're going to be getting and you're satisfied uh, that that's what you're paying for. There were some other questions. One question was, do investors sometimes pay too much for advice? Well, if the market were to
3: return 5% and you were paying an advisor 1% a year, that's like giving the advisor 20% of your returns. Some advisors charge you a lot for very simple transactions, such as putting you in an index fund. So, yes.
1: If you have got a million dollars in assets under management and you're just in index funds, you're paying $10,000 a year for virtually nothing. And the answer to the question is, yeah. Sometimes you're paying way too much, in my opinion.
2: Well, Doug, Deborah, the, the eighth question that was asked had to do with more people are are using largely automated services called uh, robo advisors. What do you think about
1: robo advisors? Well, here we're at the other end of. It. Instead of paying too much, now you might be paying too little. But the problem here is investors, even millennials. You usually want a person to talk to. Robo-investing can amplify one of the really serious problems that people have with getting advice in general. And that is, if you don't know enough to be able to evaluate whether advice is good, then how do you figure out from whom to get the advice? And I would say the answer is, number one, choose a person who can prove to you he is a fiduciary by giving you a form ADV, which says that he is required by law to put your interest ahead of his own. Number two, choose a person who is a certified financial planner. That means he's got education or she's got education in all these areas. And thirdly, make sure that that person discloses everything to you about the services, the fees you're going to be getting and is going to be staying with you month by month, year by year, for the length of, maybe for the rank of your life.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: Let's take a caller. Hello, is this Ron? This is Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, Deborah Lewis. How are you, Ron? How can we help you?
6: I'm currently handling my mother's finances for her. She's in a nursing home, and I'm the only child, and I have power of attorney, and she has approximately 1.2 million worth of assets. And I currently have about, uh, I think, about one million with a financial advisor who's been putting that in places to generate income for her for her uh, nursing facility. And so that's generating mo- pretty much most of the money that she needs. However, I still have about200,000 dollars cash that I'm wondering what I should do with, uh, I'm thinking about perhaps putting that somewhere to
3: to
1: generate some growth so we have a little growth. I got it. Okay, Ron, hold on one second.
3: So it sounds like in this situation, his question is about his mother's yeah, the,
1: situation. He, he said
3: 1.2 million has, of
1: assets. Yes, he has the power of attorney. Yeah, but I wasn't clear, where do he gets back on, I wasn't clear where those assets are all investable assets. Ron, are you back on? Hello Ron. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, wasn't clear uh-huh. on the 1.2 million if those assets are all investment assets or are they real estate? When you said assets, did you mean investment assets?
6: Yes, they're divided between uh, equities and bonds.
1: All right, so there's a ba- All right, now give it to me again. The breakout is you said uh, a million is somewhere else. All right. And the goal, your goal is what? More income, well, right?
6: Well, we're fine with income. We want to try to generate a little bit of growth with the remaining balance.
1: All right. Well, first of all, I'm not exactly sure if you're doing it the best way. When you say a million dollars in stocks and bonds, uh, that's like saying you know I'm a male and I'm married to a female. I mean, it's it's so generic. It doesn't it does. I don't approach the asset allocation in that way. The way we do it. Now, we look to try and see if it's possible to achieve an overall growth of 7%. Now, there's no way to ever guarantee what the future will be. But we can go ahead and build some sort of an asset allocation model looking historically. And here we don't like picking individual stocks and bonds because you're sort of playing a – I don't want to say a crapshoot, but – Obviously, a stock is only a worthless piece of paper until you sell it, right? Right. Right. And and a bond right now is also extremely dangerous because if you don't hold it to maturity, then if interest rates go up, the value of your bond, if you try to sell it, is going to drop. So both of those... Types of approaches, how much in stocks, how much in bonds, is not the way we would approach it.
2: Let me ask you a question, Ron. Is the money in a discretionary
3: account?
6: Uh, about one million is invested in equities and bonds, leaving about 200000 cash.
3: Like where someone is uh, making the decisions, or are you instructing the advisor uh, on how you want to invest it? Invested? Because when you say, "Do I, I want more appreciation, is it a decision that you'd be making with the two hundred, saying I need to invest in something and then telling someone to you know to do that for you
6: well that's the part i'm not sure about currently it is in a you know a financial advisor's fund where he's making the decisions about it and he will sometimes call me and consult me on some decisions
1: all right well let me comment on that part of it first of all we disapprove of that we don't think you should ever give up control to where somebody else has discretion and buys and sells on your behalf that's the first thing we think you I should think- oh i'm sorry Yes, I see. Okay. So, we don't believe in discretionary accounts like that, where you sign over power of attorney to uh, another financial advisor, and he makes the moves for you. Because, quite frankly, uh, if he works for one of the giant firms, uh, he could be fired one day. We don't know how long he's been there and so forth. And then what's his track record as an individual and so on? So, that's not the way we prefer to do it.
3: So, if this sounds like you, definitely call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: We prefer, first of all, to take the entire portfolio. So, if it's a million and two, I'm going to maybe say, uh, let me see.
2: So much in an emergency fund?
1: Well, hang on for one second, and Let me let me play with some numbers. All right. So, maybe I'm going to divide it into eight equal Units of 150 apiece, okay? So I'm starting with a number, all right? Now I'm going to start reducing the risk looking for growth with conservative approach as I move down this model. So if I've got eight, then I'm not going to put eight individual stocks or eight individual bonds or four and four. I'm not going to do that at all. I'm going to look for maybe eight mutual funds whose managers can show me an acceptable... 10 year trailing return. And then from there, I want to go ahead and start saying, what kind of fund? Is it a growth and in income fund? That's a blue chip stock fund. Is it that has dividends? All right. Is it a growth fund? All right. Is it in other words, have class diversification after that? Never giving up discretionary control to those. Those are all those funds I always still want to be in your ha- in your name.
3: Let me ask you a question. Is the is the need for appreciation, because she still has a long life ahead of her, is, yeah, like, why? It, I
6: think that uh, sure, her income needs are pretty much satisfied. So, I'm so thinking you're thinking of, you're taking, a,
1: I see. So you're taking a fiduciary responsibility of, if her income needs are met, this is going to be the ultimate estate that's passed on after she's passed away. Right. How old is she now? Eighty-five, and what's her uh, what's her medical or health condition?
6: Well, she uh, she has a mild case of um, uh, what do you call it? Um, dementia. Not dementia. It's um, Parkinson's. Oh. And she's got very poor eyesight, very poor hearing. She cannot walk.
1: Well, then I'm thinking, if we don't need income, I'm thinking a conservatively balanced portfolio. You still should be able to use the model that I just described to you. That's what we use for our clients. If you call my office and schedule an appointment, I will be I will be designing for you a recommended portfolio using that methodology. The difference in what you're doing right now is I would never have anything passed over to my discretion where I make moves and uh, no, no, no! I would want each one of the individual investment funds to be owned directly in your name, of course,
2: as the power of attorney
1: for her. As opposed, yeah, you, yeah, you, you as power of attorney for your mom, of course.
2: So basically, yeah. you know what he's saying, Ron is, you're the one driving the car, right. <laughs> right? Right. You retain the control because, you know, you're an educated person, and you love mom, and her needs are being provided for. Uh, to have a quality, a comfortable quality of life until the Lord takes her, right?
1: And the size of her portfolio probably falls within pretty much, uh, we've been doing this for 30 years. I would say most of our clients have portfolios in that range or a little bit higher. Uh, So it's very, very similar.
2: Okay. Hey, Um, Ron, do you have siblings? No, he's an only child. No, I'm the only child. Oh, you're an only child. And do you have a family as well? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I I can see where, you know, you you want to take care of mom's needs and of course as you said, it's uh, her the income that she's receiving is is supplying the need to pay for the nursing home, right? Right. But this overall is a, This is
1: an issue of proper stewardship. That's yeah. what it is. You know, we mm-hmm. had a client just this past week who was in that situation for the last five years and then the elderly mother just passed away about four days ago. Uh, and
3: and they had done a really good job taking care of mom's assets. They really
1: had, yeah. So
3: that she wanted mm-hmm. for nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. Ron, yes. if you jot down our phone number, <clears throat> 919-872-7000.
3: And, Ron, this is Deborah. Um, if you want to give me a call, even tonight, I'll be going by the office later on, But um, and I can give you a call tomorrow just with your contact information. And then we can just talk on the phone and then schedule a time together. But um, uh, it, it might be the first step in just at least finding out you know, what else might be available to you to, to complement the income with a little bit of growth in this portfolio. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank,
2: right, thank you very you. much for calling in tonight. We really appreciate it, and we hope we helped. Thank you. All right, have a wonderful week. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. What's new in the world of estate planning? Well, in the world of estate
3: planning is a document called the Power of Attorney, and this brings up a lot of questions because sometimes financial institutions won't accept the document, and you may not know what to do if that happens to you. For many people, there is no legal document that is more crucial than this power of attorney or one that is so full of potential pitfalls. A power of attorney is an inexpensive legal document that gives you a designated individual the right to act on another's behalf when making financial decisions. See, it's typically used by adult children whose aging parents are no longer capable of acting on their own. The problem is, is that financial institutions don't always make it easy to exercise that power. So families need to take steps to avoid potential
1: problems. Yeah, the most basic cover... Specific situations. For example, a father may give his daughter authority to act for him when selling the family home. That's called a durable power of attorney that allows them to take over a parent's finances at any point, which gives them the ability to help in the event the parent is no longer able to manage. But unfortunately, the power of attorney is often abused. And so as a result, banks. Worried about being held liable for customers' losses have grown wary of accepting powers of attorney, prompting a greater number of states to adopt laws requiring them to do so under certain circumstances only—
3: In a worst-case scenario, adult children may have little recourse but to take legal action against a financial institution or file with a court to become a parent's legal guardian. That's expensive and time-consuming and usually open to the public. But there are steps children can take to keep matters from getting to that point.
1: Yeah, the child's first step is to find out what kind of power it is. A standard durable power of attorney gives the child the authority to act on the parent's behalf immediately. A springing power of attorney doesn't generally give the child that authority until the parent becomes incapacitated. It springs into effect only upon a certain uh, set of situations, and that can create complications for the adult children. Generally, uh, you have to—oh, it's terrible. Sometimes you have to go to court and prove that— That the parent is incompetent incompetent and and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, it loses. Yeah. Springing powers of attorney are not very uh, advantageous in my my opinion.
3: If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us. Set up an appointment. We can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000.
1: But you also have the problem of the doctor. He may be unwilling to sign such a statement, so the court is going to go ahead and fight you on it. And all along, you need to be able to sign something. Right.
2: So families can frequently prevent problems if they introduce a revocable living trust.
1: That's exactly right, Linda. The revocable living trust is far, far superior to the power of attorney because there, no one can refuse to accept it. You do not have to prove anything because it replaces power of attorney. It's far superior, obviously.
2: Well, it's important, isn't it, to know the law. And what should people do if they're rebuffed by a financial institution when trying to use a power of attorney on behalf of a parent who is unable to get involved? Some financial institutions may ask you to take steps designated to reassure them that your power of attorney is legitimate. And You know, in some cases, a medallion signature guarantee from a bank with a signature on file may be required or even a notarized affidavit stating that the document is valid. You
1: know, Linda, before, I mean, I'm so happy that we don't run into that problem with our clients. You were saying before the show, you remember you were talking about multi-generational cases,
2: Yes, yes, yes. We were discussing that earlier that, you know, it's been a delight in our practice um, as we've worked with our clients at various stages of life, you know, while they're working and accumulating. And then when they're going to retire, and then they do retire. But then as they age, you know, things happen with health. Maybe dad has a stroke or mom has dementia. And we start working with their children. And beauty. Before. Well, These you,
1: things happen. Yeah, and, and what you were pointing out was that because the parents had started working with us, and we had created revocable living trusts and proper well, what, estate documents, the children, at this later stage, seeing what have what the benefit has been to their parents, they don't need to be convinced at all. They know exactly because they've lived through it,
3: and they're protected. I was just going to add the the word recommended that revocable living Trust had been created. That's right. You know, as the financial planner, we don't we, we can be the expert on the topic, and while we're not attorneys and don't write the documents, many times the family is so appreciative that our area of expertise extends to estate documents that are going to make your financial life lives so much easier should something happen. And doing that ahead of time is incorporating this this very useful document, the revocable living. Trust. Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. Let's take another call, Doug.
1: Hi, Charles. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
7: Uh, well, I have a question for you about the uh, Roth IRA and the 401k. All right. Um, uh, right now, uh, I'm, I make about 50000 a year.
1: All right. Are you married or single, Charles? I'm uh, married. You married? Uh, right. My wife
7: is a state employee, and she uh, contributes to the...
1: Uh, How much is her income?
7: Uh, about 40.
1: 40, and yours is 50, combined income of 90, okay.
7: Right. Uh, now, I contribute about 4,000 to my 401k through my employer. Right. And I was asking my accountant when I was doing my taxes if I should go ahead and go with the Roth IRA, and she said that apparently that I was ineligible because I was already we were already doing too much, and, and that didn't make
1: sense. Hmm. Well, uh, sometimes accountants don't know a whole bunch. (laughs) Now, I don't know the whole facts. And so I want to be very gentle here. And my wife always looks at me across the microphone and says, be easy now. Don't be too mean. But I will tell you this. I, in some cases, when sitting in an office with my clients, I tell them exactly that. Don't Overfund your retirement plans. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog just to get the money in there. But in other cases, I think just the opposite. The Roth IRA happens to be one of those where I might say just the opposite because getting the money out of the Roth IRA has no taxable effect. Right. And your retirement plan participation is not a factor it doesn't matter if you participate in a four hundred one k or not. Okay, okay, I, uh, I think that they there may is, have been. And, a, and your and your your accountant may be a little confused. Uh, that sounds right. Now tell me a little bit about the rest of your investment world, though, and maybe I can see something else there. What do you What have you accumulated so far, Charles?
7: Okay, well, we have a home valued at. Roughly no, that's not an investment. Forget okay. about that. Um, we have uh, about forty thousand in stocks.
1: Forty thousand individual stocks.
7: Right. Um, we have about ten thousand in mutual funds.
1: 10000 in mutual funds. And
7: that's essentially
1: it. All right. And how old are you? 30. You're 30. Well, that's not too bad at your age. That's very nice. And how about in the retirement plans?
7: Um, the retirement plans, I think we've got about 10000 in each.
1: All right. 10000 in each.
7: And here's something that we've been doing that I'm not sure if it's, if it's a good idea or not. Uh, we've been in our home about five years. And each year, in addition to our regular payments, we're paying an additional ten thousand
1: dollars down. That's a no-no. Stop that one.
7: Okay, explain.
1: Yeah, you're too young to worry about quickly paying off your mortgage. When you're fifty or fifty-five, then you can worry about it. But right now, I'd rather that extra money be going into investments. How big a mortgage is it?
7: Uh, the mortgage was how- one
1: hundred and how much?
7: The uh, mortgage was one hundred and fifty. It's down to a hundred.
3: If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner, call me, Deborah Lewis, at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year, 919-872-7000.
1: $100,000 mortgage, and what's the home worth? 180000 yeah, no. You're hurting yourself. You're uh, you are killing yourself from at age 30. If you were age 55, I'd agree with you, but uh, that's now in your selection. I'd also get out of those individual stocks. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd go into mutual funds, but I wouldn't attempt to do any of these moves without meeting with a fee-based certified financial planner first. Okay. Uh, there are several things that you could do, but the wonderful thing you have in your favor is you've got over 20 years, maybe 30 years of working years to compound, and so you could accumulate uh, very easily in, the, uh, in, the, in at least more than a million or a couple million dollars over your lifetime without a problem. I haven't uh, got a computer in front of me, but right. you have years to, to accumulate, and you want to get it all working for you.
7: Well, now, would you take those additional payments
1: that we're putting into the house and... Should those payments go into that fund? Right. Well, they should go into a portfolio of funds according to an asset allocation pattern that should be constructed with the help of a planner... You've got 90000 a year income. Do you have any children? Uh, just a brand new one. Brand new one. Congratulations. Well, congratulations, well, Papa. Uh, <laughs> we ought to take a look at analyzing your living expenses if you haven't done that yet and then find out what the surplus is monthly. Okay. And that surplus monthly should be going also into a mutual fund on what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. Okay. Uh, that's, that's the way I think I would approach it. I would, I would go ahead and take a look at your living expenses, break them down into categories by taking a look at the last three months of your checkbook, and then call to set up a meeting with a certified financial planner. You could call my firm if you choose to or, sell, or another firm in town, but you do want to go ahead and meet with an advisor to see how to put it all together so you get the best bang for your, for your buck. Sounds
5: great. Okay, yeah. And if you'll like to call the office, Charles, uh-huh. that number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's oh, USA...
7: 7000 Yes,
5: sir. USA-7000. Sounds great. I appreciate your help. All right. Thanks so much for calling. you uh-huh. take care.
2: What's new in the world of retirement planning? What else is new? Well, there are these... Things called target date funds
3: and they're hugely popular and I think a big part of that popularity is because they are often the default investment choice in 401k plans and really what that means is that sometimes your money is automatically directed to them unless you elect otherwise Matter of fact, half of all 401k plan participants had some money in them by, at the end of 2004 when a study was done.
1: Yeah, In a target date fund, professional money managers make the decisions about how much of your portfolio should be devoted to stocks, bonds, or other assets and which funds to buy. And then every year, the pros adjust the holdings to make the portfolio more conservative as you age. Each fund family follows its own so-called glide path for its series of target date funds, changing the mix in stocks and bonds over time. After these funds hit their target year, some continue to adjust the stock bond mix, typically for another 10 or 20 years, while others stop shifting entirely. And this is the difference between a target date series that shifts through retirement and a series that shifts to retirement.
3: And you know, that's pretty interesting. I bet most people don't know that the target date funds are designed, some of them, to end as if you were retiring at that date, and some aren't. Because most target dates follow a through retirement glide path, and the big ones hold about 73% of all target date fund assets. Now, if you're invested in a series with a to retirement glide path that ends at retirement, you should take a careful look at how the portfolio is split between stocks and bonds and see if it matches your need for your return and your risk level.
1: Yeah, you need to remember that you're a different investor today when you're retired than you were in your 30s or even your 40s or 50s. So they're not the right vehicle for every person at every stage of their life. And I would also let our listeners know that if you have a financial planner like ourselves, we generally don't want you in target date funds at all. They're fine for people that don't have a financial planner.
3: Someone who can help customize uh, a real way to get individual advice on how to get to retirement and how to get through retirement.
1: That's right. Well, I hear the music approaching, so I want to go ahead and give a little wrap-up, letting everybody know. We appreciate all the calls and the listeners tonight. We have covered tax planning questions, six tips from a person who accumulated a million dollars by age 30, power of attorney, estate questions tonight, different fee structures, and target date funds. We want to invite all of our listeners to join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. And don't forget, you can also go to Money Matters available on demand to listen to our podcast at WPTF.com. Just click hosts, click Money Matters, then listen to us on demand. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah. In Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.